Commonwealth Bank posts a record profit, but its share price tumbles. Reserve Bank Governor Philip Lowe says rates have to rise because the alternate is much worse. And the stoush between two of the country's richest people. It's Thursday, the 16th of February, 2023. Welcome to Fear and Greed, Australia's most popular business podcast. I'm Michael Thompson, and good morning, Sean Aylmer. Good morning, Michael. Sean, after the show, you've got something a little bit different for today's daily interview. You're speaking with three leading actuaries who work in major Australian data science businesses. You've got Adam Drusi, who is the the co-founder and CEO of Quantium, Jonathan Cohen, principal at Taylor Fry, and Rick Shaw from Deloitte. Yes, it's a little bit different this morning. Now, there's an organisation called Do Data Better, and it's all about trying to help businesses use their data in a more efficient way to become better businesses. Now, these three, Adam Drusi from Quantium, Jonathan Cohen from Taylor Fry and Rick Shaw from Deloitte are experts in this area. They spend their lives working with big data. It's a really, I mean, I learned a lot from the chat, shall we say that now? I, I come from a fairly low knowledge base. However, God, if you if you if you say you have a low knowledge base when it comes to this, you're obsessed with data. So I don't know what that what that says about me. Uh, not like these guys. Yeah, it is a really interesting chat. It's coming up a little bit later on. The main story this morning, Sean, though, the Commonwealth Bank has posted a record half-year profit of $5.2 billion, upped its dividend, and made gains in the important business lending market. Yet its share price tumbled yesterday at one point being down 6% before closing at $102.99, down 5.7% for the day. Yes, the headline numbers certainly didn't reflect what investors were thinking. It was a great result. Profit was up 9% and the country's biggest bank grew both its home and business lending book. It will pay a $2.10 fully franked dividend. That's a dividend yield of more than 4%, which is a lot better than a bank account, I'll tell you that much. The all-important net interest margins, the difference between what the bank pays on deposits and what it receives on loans, soared more than 10%. Lenders do better in a rising interest rate environment, and that's what the Commonwealth Bank has done. But, and it is a big but, and the reason for the share price slump, the Commonwealth Bank reckons that net interest margins have peaked and will start falling. That's because the bank is under intense pressure to pay more on deposits, and the competition in the home lending market is intense, in part because so many people coming off fixed rate mortgages are refinancing and looking for better deals. Now, remember, buying and selling stocks is all about future earnings, not past. So professional investors liked the big numbers up front, but then they saw that profit margins are being squeezed and they sold the stock, hence the share price fall. Now, Sean, the thing that I always find most interesting when Commonwealth Bank reports results is that when CEO Matt Common speaks, he's got such interesting insights because the Commonwealth Bank is so big and is everywhere. So what did he say yesterday about the housing market and and probably more broadly the economy in general? Well, starting with the housing market, he emphasised how intense competition is at the moment, and that means better deals for borrowers, notwithstanding interest rates are rising. Commonwealth Bank hasn't seen a jump in bad debts, that's certainly good news, but higher rates are yet to hit about one third of Commonwealth Bank's mortgage customers. It's about $82 billion of cheaply priced fixed rate loans out there that will roll off into higher variable rates this year. All those people talking about the Reserve Bank lifting interest rates too quickly, 
these are the people that they could hurt most, and that's what analysts are worried about. On the economy, Common said it was clear many households are feeling the strain from rising interest rates, the cost of electricity, groceries, etc. But consumer demand remains resilient, albeit with pockets of weakness. Common is optimistic about a soft landing for Australia, basically meaning the economy will slow, but we're not going to have a recession. Certainly a good result for Commonwealth Bank. But just before we leave that story, yesterday, Federal Treasurer Jim Chalmers asked the competition regulator to investigate banks' behaviour paying interests to savers. That'll put more pressure on Commonwealth Bank and its brethren to make sure it ups deposit rates which in turn will put more pressure on net interest margins, which of course is the reason for the sell-off yesterday. Sean, every now and then I like to prove that I listen to you and that I have learned something from you over the, the years that we've been doing this and make a sweeping statement about markets and things. So I, I suppose that if, if Commonwealth Bank has sold off and I imagine the other banks too, it would be very hard to imagine the ASX 200 kind of recovering from that and doing particularly well yesterday. Uh, you're a genius. You're a business reporter you made it it only took me what two and a half years (laughs) well i mean you're right though financial stocks are more than 20 percent of the index and if they get sold off on the back of worries of net interest margins then you can be very confident that the s&p asx 200 is going to go backwards it did yesterday down more than one percent finishing the day at 7352 points the banks did do poorly michael you're right we saw that the commonwealth bank was off 5.7%, 5.7%, Westpac was off 4.4%, NAB was more than 4% lower, ANZ was down 3.5%. The energy companies didn't do so well, Woodside was off 2.4%. The iron ore miners generally outperformed, one notable exception which we'll talk about in a moment. Rio Tinto, for example, finished the day up 1.5%. Got to mention the Star Entertainment Group, it's really been hammered this week, not yesterday. It was the best performer, up nearly 14%. Worst was Brain Chip Holdings which fell nearly 14%. Wow. All right. International markets, what's been happening? Well, yesterday was all about US inflation numbers for January, and it really was a bit of a damp squid because the information came in pretty much on expectations. Headline CPI for the year to the end of January was 6.4%, about half a percent for the month. Core inflation was 5.6% over the year, about 0.4% for the month. Basically, it tells us that inflation is high, very high, but moderating. Rates are still likely to rise in the US with the market pricing in another 50 basis points. But given what we've been through over the past year or so, that's actually not too bad. Markets reacted to the news, but then kind of went back to their business. By the end of yesterday's trading, the S&P 500 hadn't actually changed very much. Bond yields were a bit higher. Not much had happened to the US dollar. Not a lot going on in other markets, Michael. Gold, oil and coal markets were all fairly flat. Same deal with cryptos, though the trend is definitely down. And the Aussie dollar is buying around 69.5 US cents, which is pretty much what I said yesterday and could have said most days this week. Now, Sean, I I do need to ask you, Mm. did you say just then damp squid or damp squib? On the basis that you're only allowed to ask me this in the moment, Mm. I'm not going to answer that because as you bring it up, it highlights that I got it totally wrong. Well, it's one of those things that the common sense would tell you that it should Mm. be damp squid because squids are, by their very nature, damp. Yeah. I've learned a lesson. Thank you. Anytime. We'll be back in a moment with the rest of the day's business news. (laughs) 
Sean, Reserve Bank Governor Philip Lowe was before Senate estimates yesterday, and he made it clear that the pain we're feeling now from higher interest rates is much less than would be if inflation isn't tamed. It's not a nice message, but it's the reality, the governor said. Lowe was questioned by the pollies. He didn't really back away from any controversial issues yesterday. He said the Reserve Bank's job is to contain inflation. It's unpopular, but Lowe accepts that. He said while higher interest rates are slowing the economy, inflation is still way too high. He disagreed that monetary policy from the Reserve Bank and fiscal policy from the government were working against each other. That's something that has been thrown around in recent weeks. He also said he intends to serve out his seven-year tenure, which ends later this year. He was asked straight out whether he was prepared to resign. He said he knows people are finding it tough across the economy. He talked about rapidly rising rents. He said they aren't because of higher interest rates. They're actually a supply-demand imbalance fueled by insufficient dwelling construction. He's not particularly worried about a wage price spiral and he doesn't think that wages growth will go much beyond 4%. He said there was a huge pool of excess savings built up over the pandemic, but the bulk was skewed towards higher income households. And people with fixed rate loans who hadn't used the period of low rates to build up savings are in for a more difficult time. About 800,000 fixed rate loans will switch to higher variable rates later this year. Sean, Senate estimates is one of those things you hear the term a lot. Um, and it's basically an opportunity for senators to to quiz public servants, really, isn't it, on a range of topics. Is there any kind of limit to what they can be asked? No. So it's under privilege. So they can pretty much ask anything they want. They have a bunch of Senate estimates committees and bureaucrats appear before those and they get asked all sorts of things. What I mean, I worked in the press gallery for a while and what I used to always find entertaining was that sometimes politicians would say, what What should I ask this particular bureaucrat? So the I mean, it's, when you're a politician, it's very hard to get across everything. So I'm, I'm probably defending them when I shouldn't be. But they'd say, you know, what are the key issues that this bureaucrat should be asked? Now, I've no idea whether that happened to Philip Lowe yesterday or not. But it is va- used to be vaguely amusing to me that they'd actually ask the journalists what the questions should be. That's fascinating. I-, I had no idea that that kind of thing happened. It makes sense. Yeah, maybe it doesn't happen anymore. I don't know. But and this is 20 years ago when I was in the press gallery. Oh, that's fine. Uh, the reason I ask is, is that one of the, the criticisms of, of Philip Lowe recently was that he had lunch at Baron Joey, which is an investment bank. That happened fairly recently and bond yields moved afterwards. Was there any discussion of, of that kind of thing? Yes, there was. In fact, he was asked about it. The problem for the governor is he doesn't want to say anything market sensitive to only a subset of the market. If he wants to say something that's going to move rates, he needs to say it to everyone. Now, the inference over the past few days is that he went to this lunch at Baron Joey. He said something which moved the market. When asked about it yesterday, he he said he didn't expect anyone at the lunch to talk to the media and he said that type of lunch isn't actually unusual for him. It Not only does he you know, allow him to explain himself to the market, and he said yesterday he didn't say anything at the lunch, particularly more so than he had said anyway. It's also an opportunity for him to get feedback from market participants. I suppose the problem now is because it was leaked to the media, he's going to be much more circumspect about doing that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you certainly would be. And uh, Sean, the head of Treasury, Stephen Kennedy, was another one of the bureaucrats that was in estimates. Yeah, and he pretty much agreed with what 
Phil Lowe said Kennedy isn't worried about a wage price spiral. He said interest on government debt and the cost of the National Disability Insurance Scheme are the two fastest growing line items in the budget. Dr Kennedy also said federal legislation around coal and gas price caps, including the Mandatory Code of Conduct, had helped ease pressure on prices. Good news for the government, that particular comment. Absolutely. Uh, Wes Farmers reported yesterday, Sean, announcing a record half-year profit of $1.4 billion, but it came with a warning. Yes, Wes Farmers boss Rob Scott warned that rate rises, inflation and higher energy costs meant consumers are shifting to value-oriented retailers, Bunnings, Kmart, Target. Of course, they're all West Farmers retailers. He said trading across its main retail businesses in the first few weeks of calendar 2023 showed that shift. Like other retailers, the group has benefited from an easing of global supply chain problems, but finding staff remains a challenge, particularly in Australia. Now, West Farmers is much more than a retailer. Its chemicals, energy and fertilisers business lifted pre-tax earnings by about 50%. That was pretty good. And last year, it expanded into healthcare, buying Australian pharmaceutical industries, which also contributed to the bottom line. West Farmers announced a higher dividend. Its share price rose 1.3 yesterday in a falling market. That was pretty good, finishing at $49.35. Sean, the message from Treasury Wines results yesterday is essentially that inflation be damned. Aussies are happy to spend more than $30 on a bottle of wine, but that's not the case in the US. Pretty much. Luxury wine sales locally have been strong, but the group's brand in the US, 19 Crimes, which of course, that's the one that features uh, the American rapper Snoop Dogg, that's actually struggled. Now, Treasury makes brands including Penfolds, Wolf Blast, Wins, um, Pepper Jacks, another one. It was really hard hit by higher tariffs from China, but it's done a pretty good job diversifying sales. Exports to Malaysia, Thailand, Vietnam, and Singapore have increased. All Up, the company reported a 73% jump in net profit and a higher dividend. Its share price closed 7% lower, though, to $13.34. I don't think that's because the dog is on the nose. (laughs) It's like me mixing my wine metaphors here. In fact, the company yesterday said that they expected the popularity of Snoop Dogg to rebound. I will never get over your Snoop Dogg story of meeting him uh, in that casino and not knowing how to shake his hand because uh, he's, he's too cool for you, Sean. Yeah. Yeah, I just put my hand there and he just started slapping it and hitting it and doing things to it. And I was like a stunned mullet as my hand's being belted by the dog himself. Oh. And then he just kept going and I thought, WTF. Oh, there's just it is just the greatest. <laughs> Every time I think of that, it just it brings a smile to my face. Oh. Sean, shares in hearing implant manufacturer Cochlear surged 8% yesterday, even though net profit fell 16%. Yes, investors expected an even worse result, hence the share price did well. It's worth pointing out that moves immediately after earnings results tend to reflect the outcome in relation to expectations of investors rather than the fundamental outcome. Anyway, sales of implants were higher, driven by the launch of a new sound processor. There was also a recovery from COVID surgery delays. All in all, the result was better than expected, hence the share price jump. Kerry Stokes 7 Group did something that we haven't really seen much of this profit season. It delivered a better than expected first half result. Yes, the Westrack Heavy Equipment Business and Coates Industrial Hire Division both did really well. Basically, they're benefiting from the infrastructure boom that's going on at the moment and the energy transition and the need for resources for that energy transition to happen. They have all this heavy equipment. People want it. That's helped seven increased net earnings. It was up 16% 
last half year. Its share price rose 1.3% yesterday. Now, Seven also owns Seven West Group, which includes the West Australian newspaper. And this is where it gets really interesting. Yesterday, Andrew Forrest accused the newspaper of biased inflammatory and inaccurate reporting, suggesting his fellow West Australian billionaire, Kerry Stokes, was misusing the power of his media empire. According to the Financial Review, Dr Forrest is convinced the West Australian, the newspaper, is pursuing him and his company after Fortescue ordered 120 zero-emission haul trucks from a competitor of Westrack, which, of course, is owned by Seven Group. I'm sure we're going to hear plenty more on this one, Michael. Oh, yeah, there's nothing quite like a stoush between billionaires. It's a very niche fight club, isn't it, mm, Yeah, very niche indeed. One I would love to be part of one day. Uh, and speaking of Andrew Forrest, he will receive about $849 million in dividends after Fortescue's profit announcement yesterday. Yeah, so that's actually a relatively low payout compared to previous years. Fortescue yesterday announced a 15% fall in half-year profit to $3.4 billion. The $0.75 cents a share dividend is lower than the $0.86 cents a share dividend 12 months ago. Still, Andrew Forrest ends up with $849 million. Not bad. Fortescue's spending is rising as it tries to become a clean energy player through Fortescue Future Industries. There's no commentary on potential job losses. Plenty of media talk in the last week, but no commentary yesterday. And Fortescue Metals Group, the head business, says it remains committed to Fortescue Future Industries. Its share price finished down 0.8% yesterday. Sean, in international news, the Republican Party in the US has its first candidate bold enough to take on Donald Trump for the nomination for the 2024 election. Her name is Nikki Haley. She's from South Carolina. She was once governor of that state. She was also a United Nations ambassador in the Trump administration. Now, of course, Donald Trump was never a fan of the UN, so I'm not sure what that means. It's very early to jump into the campaign. Now, others will emerge, but probably not for a while since there's such a long way to go. Ms. Haley, who's 51, called for generational change in the party and wants Republicans to rally around substantive issues and a candidate with appeal to mainstream America. Now, she didn't mention Donald Trump but it was pretty clear what she was talking about. Now she's declared she'll be able to start fundraising. That's a big benefit. But wow, that's a long election campaign between now and the end of next year. Yeah, it means the theatre can begin. I'm quite excited by that, Sean. Excellent. And I'm sure you'd be very pleased to know Elon Musk is back. According to a report on Bloomberg, Musk had Twitter engineers working late on Sunday to alter his social network's algorithm and prioritise his tweets resulting in a glut of them in users' feeds on Monday. Yes, the billionaire Twitter owner apparently was unhappy with the number of views of his Super Bowl tweets on Sunday. That's according to a report in Platformer. As a result of his request, Twitter excluded Musk's tweets from filters designed to improve the quality of users' timelines and artificially boosted them by a factor of about 1,000. Hmm. Users across Twitter complained about seeing an abundance of Musk missives on the day following the Super Bowl. Now, his message of support for the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday got much lower engagement than US President Joe Biden, who basically said the same thing. Uh, Now, Musk has about three times more followers than Biden, but Biden got much more bang for the buck. That's, that is a, a fascinating story. I reckon I did see an abundance of Elon Musk tweets on Monday. 
it was it was extraordinary and now i know why yeah i mean it's just shows how much power the owner can have if it's not used the right way, shall we say. Yeah, it'll be fascinating to see where this one goes. All right, up next is the Fear and Greed Daily interview with three leading actuaries who work in major Australian data science businesses. We mentioned them at the top of the show, Adam Drusi from Quantium, Jonathan Cohen at Taylor Fry, and Rick Shaw from Deloitte. Yep, all about data science, all about big data, how companies can use it. I learned a lot from this chat. Absolutely fascinating. What I did like about it, the three don't necessarily agree with each other throughout yeah. the conversation as well. Yep. And that it just makes for, you know, at times one of them will say something and that another one will say, uh, yeah, look, I don't really have that take on it. And so it just makes for a great, great conversation. Yeah, it is a really interesting chat and they're excellent supporters of Fear and Greed. It's coming up next in the Fear and Greed playlist on your podcast platform or at fearandgreed.com.au. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Michael. It's Thursday, the 16th of February, 2023. Make sure you're following the podcast. Join us online on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Don't forget as well to check out the new episode of How Do They Afford That, our sister podcast that's all about making your money work a little bit harder for you. This week's episode that came out yesterday is all about rebooting your budget, basically, to help deal with rising interest rates. I'm Michael Thompson, and that was Fear and Greed. Have a great day.